Christmas is all about love. Sometimes when we say this, we mean it one way or another. Sometimes we mean it in terms of time spent with family and friends. We take time off school, we take time off work, and we spend time together at parties, at gatherings, at feastings, uh, in, in the living room, around the tree on Christmas morning. Sometimes when we talk about Christmas being the time of love, we talk about the gifts that we give to those that we love and, and how we're expressing our love and giving those gifts. Sometimes we, we mean by that the gifts we receive, and, and we receive gifts of love from each other. The biblical rationale for talking about Christmas having to do with love is a little bit different. Christmas is about the greatest gift of love from the greatest giver. The gift, this awesome gift from the greatest giver is Jesus himself. Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. This Jesus, we read here in Matthew, will save his people from their sins. Romans 5.8, we see Paul reflecting on this mission of Jesus. Paul writes there, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I know this isn't Good Friday. This is Christmas. But when we look at the logic of the incarnation, when we see the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, becoming human, becoming one of us, in that commitment, in that commitment of love, he's setting himself even then on the way to the cross, on the way giving his life for us. There's more here, though. When we look for the story of Christmas, we find that story in two Gospels. It's in Matthew and in Luke. Mark doesn't tell us anything about the birth of Jesus. John doesn't tell us anything about the birth of Jesus. Although John talks quite a bit about the incarnation, about the Word becoming flesh, the Word becoming human. Matthew and Luke give different points of view. When we read Luke, we see mostly the focus on Mary. The angel comes to Mary. The angel speaks to Mary. Mary hears the message. Not sure what to make of it at first, but Mary's decision is, yes, yeah, sure, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll respond to you. She takes up a mission that will be very difficult for her. The story here in Matthew is a little different. Oh, sure, there are commonalities. We see the betrothed couple. We see Mary and Joseph. In our language today, we'd say they're engaged, but betrothal in their culture was much deeper, much more extensive, much more serious than engagement in ours. They're waiting for their marriage. Here in Matthew, we see Joseph's point of view. We don't see anywhere along the way when Mary's dealing with the angel and Luke, we don't see any consultation with Joseph. It's not like Mary hears the, hears the angel say, okay, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to bear a child and the child will be the Son of God and will save the people from their sins. Mary doesn't say, oh, that's a great idea, angel, or even that's a great idea, God. Let's go talk to Joseph and see what he says. No conversation with Joseph at all. Can you imagine how he might respond if, if you'd gone to him and say, Joseph, 
how would you like to marry a girl that's already pregnant? Not pregnant by you, but pregnant by somebody else. That's the setting we find here in Matthew. Matthew says she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. You like like the use of this passive voice here? She was found. Well, by whom? You see, that's the great thing about the passive voice is it leaves the subject. It leaves who's doing the action, the agent. It leaves that in the background. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Do you think many people believed that? When Mary went around Nazareth and people could look at her and it was far enough along that they could see that she was pregnant. And I said, what's going on, Mary? Oh, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You think people believed that? Would you believe that? You think Joseph would believe that? Do you notice here how God's act of love, an act of love that there's none greater, do you notice how it's performed through ordinary people? Mary and Joseph were ordinary. Joseph was... We normally call him a carpenter, like we call Jesus a carpenter. The word there, tectone, is is more likely maybe a construction worker, craftsman. They didn't have lots of wood to work with, like carpenters we have in our society. Other, Other materials. Ordinary guy. We don't see this Jesus, the Son of God, just as a baby appearing out of nowhere. We don't see him like the Japanese story of Peach Boy, where an elderly couple see a giant peach floating down the river and they pull it out and they cut it open thinking they're going to have this great meal of peach and inside the peach is a boy. And they adopt the boy as their own. No, that's not how the birth of Jesus goes. It's not a grown man appearing on the scene as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Savior. Now, that would doubtless have been way easier. The way God did it through Mary and Joseph results in a lot of stress for them. It's hard for them. And it's slow. And imagine how it was for Jesus. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, coming down from heaven to be born as a human. And He comes not as a baby adult, just a little tiny thing, looks like a baby, but He's really an adult. He comes as a baby. And he has to grow up and mature as ordinary humans do. So slow. You imagine how hard this was for Mary and Joseph. Even today, God's acts of love will often discomfort us. And we, like Mary and Joseph, will have to trust God over time as God slowly works. So here's Joseph, betrothed to Mary, planning on getting married. Word comes to him that she's pregnant. He knows how biology works. He knows he's not the father. He has a problem. So he thinks, Matthew tells us, that that he'll divorce her quietly. Because betrothal was so serious, you don't just say, ah, we're calling it off. You, you, you do a divorce practically. 
I'll do it quietly so not as to embarrass her, because even though she's cheated on me, which is an obvious thought, I still love her. I still care about her. I don't want her to suffer any more than is necessary. Joseph seems to be obsessed. Here he is looking forward to the joy of his marriage to Mary, looking forward to their big day. Now she's pregnant. He can't get it out of his mind. He's thinking about it over and over and over again. When he lays down in bed at night, he's thinking about it. He can't sleep. It's going on and on. Now, some of us are more prone to obsession than others. Some of us, we don't obsess others of us. Our obsessions take control of us. And our obsessions program us for action. That's one reason the Bible tells us to watch our thoughts, to be wary of our thought life. In Philippians 4.8, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Guard your thought life, Paul's saying. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Over and over again, Paul says, watch your thought life. Watch those things that are making you obsess, those thoughts that just come at you. Are you guarding your thought life? Are, are you watching how your brain can get carried away? Are you watching that information that you take in, that you think about, that you focus on? I think Joseph was. Well, sure, Joseph's before Paul, so he didn't hear anything Paul said. But I think Joseph was operating on those same principles. It's in this context that God sends an angel to substantiate Mary's story. It's a very clear communication. The angel comes and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. Having this dream, Joseph has a couple of options as he decides what to do with it. Joseph could say to himself, nah, it's only a dream. It's just wishful thinking. I know how babies get made. I know that Mary, by getting pregnant from some other guy, has made a mockery of me. I know that I have to defend my good name and my honor if there's any of it left. Joseph could have decided the angel's message was just a dream. But that's not what he decided. Joseph took the message as the word of God, and he acts on it. Do you think the community there in Nazareth would believe Joseph any more than they believe Mary? Mary? 
when they come to Mary, Mary, we see you're pregnant. Did Joseph, did he come take advantage of you before you married? No, it's not Joseph. Oh, some other guy, some other guy came and took advantage of you. Or, or were you just playing around, Mary? Are you that kind of girl? Oh, no, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And they might think, oh, she's a little soft in the head. But then there's Joseph. Joseph starts saying the same thing. Would they believe him? Him, a, a, a man, a, a businessman, a car, construction worker, somebody with a good job. Or would they just say, ah, oh, just a foolish little girl, a simple-minded carpenter. But we see here that Joseph loved Mary. Joseph, in the end, doesn't care what everybody's saying. Doesn't care what they're thinking when they look at him and when they look at her. Joseph loved Mary, and he acted on that love even when it cost him. This Christmas season, are you willing to receive the love of God given in Jesus? In Jesus, who is this greatest gift imaginable, this gift of life? A long time ago, a, a company in our culture came up with this slogan, when you care enough to send the very best. And this, this is, as you know, the Hallmark Card Company's tagline. If you care enough, you're going to buy their fancy card, write your name on it, maybe add love, so-and-so, and you're going to mail it, or you're going to hand it to them. If you care enough to send the very best. Oh, God loved us enough. God cared for us enough to do more than send us a card, to do more than just give us information. God loved us enough to send His only Son into the world for us as one of us. Will you receive this gift of love in Jesus? And having received this gift of love, Having received Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as the King of your life, will you share Him? Because you see, this love of God isn't just for us to end with us. This love of God is God's project to redeem the world. It's going to cost something. It costs Mary something. It costs Joseph something. It'll cost us something. But there's great joy that comes in receiving and sharing love. There's great joy that comes in being part of what God's doing to rescue this broken and hurting world. You can be a part of that this Christmas as you receive the gift of love and as you share it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for that awesome gift of love that you gave us when you sent your son Jesus to be born of Mary, raised by Mary and Joseph, to live a life among the, his people, the people of Israel, to preach the good news of the kingdom, to live as the coming king, 
to demonstrate what your righteousness and your holiness look like. To show and give your love to the fullest extent possible, dying for us on the cross. Lord, we thank you for that gift of love that is Jesus. And we receive him afresh today. But Lord, also let us live in such a way that we share this gift of love, that we share Jesus with the world around us. Amen. We invite you today to go forth, having received this love, sharing this love with everyone you encounter so that they might enjoy that great joy of life in Jesus. Amen.